everyone. Welcome back to Murder, She Spoke, the Murder, She Wrote podcast. I'm Maria, and today's episode, we are going to look at Season 2, Episode 18 of Murder, She Wrote, If a Body Meet a Body. Um, in this episode, it's actually um pretty great whirlwind of an episode. Um, I'm trying to think... Normally, how I do these episodes is I watch a few minutes of the episode, discuss it, and then keep going that way. Um, and I'm gonna try, I don't know, I'm trying, I'm, I'm working on trying different, uh, different ways to go about how I do it, because sometimes, you know, a lot of people watch the whole episode and then take notes and, um, talk about it that way, but, um, we'll see how things go. Uh, it starts off that um, we find out Henry Vernon um, has died, and a um, a young lady uh, wearing funeral attire uh, comes um, approaches the hearse driver, the undertaker, and they discuss how it's weird that the body's being burned and that they thought it was like hasty. Um, she says that there's foul play and um, then it comes into the church and says that there's no way he had a heart attack um, that his wife because um, she's the mistress his wife probably killed him and then they have a scuffle and then the, um, the casket uh, falls over and the body comes out but it's actually not Henry Vernon. It's a random body. And honestly, the way the scuffle happens and the casket falls over is actually pretty realistic. I didn't find it to be cheesy or, like, overacted. It uh, Honestly, it, it seemed like that, that would easily happen in real life. Um, uh, we find out that... Ned Olstein was the policy beneficiary um, of uh, Henry Vernon's um, words. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. Um, we find out that um, his also like during the funeral part, there's a a man driving a truck and he has like a Harvard cutoff, which I think is like so weird. He looks like such a, like, farmer, but he's, like, a, he dropped out of Harvard. And, like, people that go to, like, when you go to Harvard or college and you become woke or whatever, like, there's a certain level of wokeness that a lot of people, that's, like, why pe kids go to college and come back, like, hippies or, like, they feel like they're enlightened or woke, but, like, that's, like, just the immaturity of, just coming across what the world's about and by the time you're done with college and get a job like you kind of grow out of that like capitalism is bad and weed is great and um he's kind of like it looks like he's going through that um i never went through that but i've seen so many people go through that and it's um 
I mean, watching them go through it is, like, really annoying. Because you know it's like, uh, you're a child. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, um, the man driving the truck, he delivers and does something, he like grows blueberries or something, um, and he's dropping off his girlfriend who is the dead guy's business partner's daughter, and the way that she tells, um, the way that we find out that information is so, so cliche, like, he says something, they're talking, and she's like, Henry Vernon was my dad's closest business partner and friend. Like, okay, we get it. You're establishing who you are and how you're connected to the dead guy, but that was just so, so, like, rough. Um, this episode is interesting because the dynamic between Jessica and Amos is totally different than regular episodes that we've, uh, well, most of the episodes, um, and I really like that the dynamic in, of the story, it, even though it's in the same place, essentially gets to the same point where, you know, Amos solves the murder, Jessica helps solve the murder, like, it always ends up in the same place, essentially, but how you get there, um, they do change it up a bit, and I do love that. Um, it never really gets, like, stale. There's always a, tw not even, it's like, there isn't a twist in the story for the sake of there being a twist in the story, but it's like, they change things up so it's way more realistic and, and less, uh, stale as far of, as far as I've watched so far. Um, Amos... Uh, immediately believes there's foul play because of the random body and thinks that maybe that random body who they don't know who it is, that's not anyone from their town. Um, he thinks that someone murdered that guy, uh, J J um, John Doe and, um, they were gonna, they switched places so that they could cover up the murder of John Doe. Um, by putting him in Henry Vernon's place. Um, and then they wouldn't have looked, ever looked for Henry Vernon's body because it, they thought it was buried. And then they wouldn't have looked for John Doe's body because he's not from there. So, and whoever the town John Doe is from, it would have never, you like, that would have been a perfect crime if that were the case. Um, and if they hadn't knocked the casket over, um, Jessica's trying to finish a book in four days. To um, get it on the uh, Christmas um, circuit or whatever uh, for Christmas sales. Um, Amos asks if it's okay if for um, she. Amos asks Jessica if it's alright if she doesn't help him because the town is starting to talk about how she solves all of his cases and she's like, oh no, that's totally fine. Um, and he's, like, really happy, um, that she was cool with it, which I think it's hilarious that he's, like, asks her permission to do his job by himself. Like, in other murder, like, shows, like, Miss Fish or stuff like that, the police are always, like, yelling at the, the civilian that helps them, like, um, in Miss Fisher, the officer always yells at Miss Fisher for getting involved or, like, butting in. But Amos is just such a good guy. Um, 
and he, unlike all the other guys, um, that won't accept, like, I'm trying to think of, um, like Father Brown, uh, they never want Father Brown's help, even though he's really good at solving murders, um, and he always is having, like, back and forth with the law enforcement, where Amos is, he's not trying to compensate for anything, he knows that Jessica knows better than him, so he is so down for her to solve things with him, um, He's not really too proud to, like... I mean, sometimes he little, he postures a little bit. But it's, like, the normal, like... I I know what I'm talking about. But, like, he never degrades her. He never yells at her. Um, if she pushes an issue, he doesn't necessarily always go along with it. But if she pushes an issue, she goes and looks for evidence. And then when she presents it to him, he always believes her. Which he should because, you know, evidence. Um, but he never... Um, he never tries to... I don't know. gets He never gets angry at her really for helping him. Because they're clearly close friends. Um, and he's... He's not... Con he doesn't consider her as someone who's meddling for the sake of meddling. Like, she's... I mean, that's the funny thing. Like, she is kind of meddling for the sake of meddling. Um, but also, like, she just likes solving puzzles. And um, it's not hurting him, really, at all. Um, and I think that's a great dynamic. Um, same thing goes for um, Dr. Hazlitt. They all are pretty respectful of each other, even when they disagree. I mean, Amos and Seth, like... For some reason, Seth just, like, gets annoyed, so annoyed at Amos, um, but, like, it's not even a rivalry, it's almost like, it's, you know, just realistic, like, they're not close, but they're both close with Jessica, so they kind of have a, like, oh, you're the bumbling, uh, sheriff, and I know better than you, sort of, but it's not really, like, and Amos barely even acknowledges Seth, so I think it, I think it's a funny dynamic. Um, so Jess um, is totally cool with not helping Amos because she has a book to get done, but of course she get keeps getting calls and keeps getting pulled in. Um, and you see her typing out her book, and she's typing the. Like, she's saying the words out loud as she types them. And honestly, that's so obnoxious, but I can't say that I don't do that sometimes. When I'm, like, really trying to get out, like, a last sentence or get focused, I sometimes do that. And, um, I am a writer. I do publish books. So that's why I, I, I'm fond of Jessica's, um, I'm fond, I'm fond of Jessica because we have the same career at this point. Um... Except I don't solve mysteries um, in, in real life. I do write um, mystery novels along with other other genres. But um, I just, I definitely, um, 
I definitely understand what she's going through. Um, so Phyllis, um, Phyllis, the young lady who knocked the coffin over, goes to Jessica's house. Um, then, um, Like, you find out there's, like, a whole bunch of stuff going on that you didn't know about. Like, um, like, you see the girl who was in the truck, or the van with the Harvard guy, her and her dad, who was the dead guy's business partner, they're at the diner where Phyllis works, and they're talking about how um, the daughter apparently works with her dad and, um, former partner, Henry, um, and they're talking about how they don't want Connie, the widow, involved in their business, and, um, her dad was like, oh, I wouldn't worry about Connie, she's moving to San Francisco, um, and then a couple comes in, and they said they want their investment back. So, apparently, um, Henry and his business partner um, collected about a million dollars from various, like, altogether a million. They collected a large chunks from a lot of people in Cabot Cove to fund a hospital or clinic. Um, and the business partners, or they, he was in the diner when... This couple came in and decided that um, because of Henry's death, they just thought they want to pull their money out. Um, they were just unsure, and their their investor said that they should invest in CDs rather than what they put their money in. And they only they put in a hundred thousand. So they asked um, the partner if they could have their money by Monday, and he was like. Oh, yeah, no problem. But, like, he clearly had an issue with it. Like, you can tell, like, it's a major issue. But I would have reacted the way he did. Where, like, when you know, like, it was clear he didn't have the money. Well, it seemed like that. Like, he didn't, like, there was something wrong. There was something off, obviously. Um, but the way he presented it to the people wanting their money, he acted like it was totally not a big deal. Um, and that's the right way to do it. Like, even if, like, cause if there was an issue and you were like, oh, there's an issue. I can't get you your money back. Like, that's so suspicious and that would cause so much, like a lot of issues and a lot of people like maybe rioting and trying to get their money back. Um, so yeah, it was a good call on his part to be like, oh yeah, no problem. We'll get you your money and then, um, deal with it the aftermath, like, later on, because, um, if he played it cool, like, nothing was wrong with the money, then he could make it seem like the disappearance of the money is, you know, totally new to him, like, he didn't realize, uh, the money was gone or whatever, um, everyone keeps coming to Jeff, I like how, Jess doesn't want to help with the case, but everyone keeps coming to her to ask for her to intervene in the case. 
And I think that's really admirable of the city because um, in other in different episodes, we find out that the city does have mob mentality where um, there's a lot of like um, sort of bigotry and ignorance when it comes to the city. And like also like um, in the one episode where everyone received a letter with like scandalous information on it. And people saw the letter, read the letter, and automatically believed the letter. Um, so, like, the town is very, like, overall the town is an entity of itself. Um, it's very small town vibes. Like, whatever the crowd, you know, like, the majority rules, like, follow the crowd sort of deal. Um, they totally, like, if... if if this was, like, the 1500s or something, they would have totally gone along with the Salem witch trials and burned women who were different sort of town. Um, and there is an episode about that. Um, but they have... There are a lot of them that, who, when they are in a desperate situation, or, like, there's a murder, an issue, they they are wise enough to know to go to Jessica whether or not they get along with her or not. They, she's very respectable. And she's respected in the town. Despite how much uh, shit she digs up through her misadventures. Um, everyone seems to come to her when they need something solved. Um, also, um, I just really love... I, I wrote this note down. <laughs> that I love Jessica's hair. The way it like swooshes back and like... Sometimes she touches it and it like tries to like, you know, keep it like unru, keep it like together. And I just really like her hairdo. It's very chic. Um, and she gets a. I like how um, when she gets phone calls of like people gossiping or busybodies, like she'll glare at her phone. Like I swear, if you ring again, um, and that's pretty funny. Oh my gosh, and the weirdest thing in this episode is when they're in Seth's office in the lab, or, like, the, the freaking doctor's office, and he has, like, all of his chemicals and shit. It, it's, this is at, I wrote this down, it's at 17.04. Seth is drinking soda or coffee out of a fucking chemical beaker, like a psycho, and I had to rewatch it like three times because I thought, oh, maybe he's like, you know, mixed something and he's smelling it. But no, he went to drink it. There is no doubt in my mind that he uses beakers as cups to drink out of in a laboratory. <laughs> um, that's like, honestly, that's just so endearing to me and insane. Um... But yeah, so then um, the widow asks Amos and Jess to dinner because she's lonely, blah, 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 which is, of course, the perfect setup for her alibi and the murder of Henry, which we find out Henry is alive. And there's this whole thing going on where Henry and his uh, wife um, needed money, so they decided to fake his death, and he'd go into hiding, um... And then she'd collect the insurance money, and then they would leave. And he stole the investor's million dollars, but 
apparently the, the his wife didn't know. And they were both going to flee to San Francisco to start a fresh life. But it all went to shit. Um, um, his dead body... You can see also... Um, you can see there when um, they find Henry's body at um, Phyllis's house. Um, Connie, his wife... Or widow is trying way too hard to pin it on Phyllis, and that's so obvious. Um, when they're sitting in the police station, she just tries to really push it on Phyllis. And if she hadn't done that, I think she would have been a lot better off. Like, she the dead body was found in Phyllis's house, she didn't have to say anything, she didn't have to try and convince them that Phyllis did it. Because the dead body was found in her house. But she slipped up by saying hit on the head with a poker. Because only Phyllis and the police and Jess knew about that. So the fact that she tried to push her agenda really hard is what caused the slip, the first slip up. Which led to a waterfall of... Um, Well, I mean, that one slip-up led to just figuring everything out, really. Um, oh, so the hearse driver goes to Phyllis's house. I'm, I'm talking about things out of order. Um, the hearse driver going to Phyllis's house, his name's Silas. Um, he wants to take care of her, but she's like, no. And it was like, he seemed like a nice guy at first, but then he became like really creepy. Because he's like... You need a man to take care of you. And honestly, like, this was filmed in, like, the 80s. So, like, it's not like the 60s where you couldn't get a credit card without a man sort of deal. Um, but, yeah, af actually, after that scene is when we find out. Um, I'm trying to jump back into order. Um, she tells him to leave and then she's looking at a photo um this is before Henry was actually killed um uh, she's looking at a photo of Henry which I thought was a great transition she's looking at the photo of Henry because she thinks he's dead and as Silas leaves he was like well before she did look at the photo Silas left and said once you find that bot once they find that body you'll realize how you know like that he's really dead and that you're alone and you'll come to your senses and, you know, marry me or whatever. And then she kicks him out and then looks at the picture of Henry. Um, and that's the greatest transition because it went from her looking at the picture and that transition to the scene of Henry being alive. So you knew exactly who he was. You've already seen his picture uh, once before at the funeral too. Like, it was a really subtle reminder of, like, Oh, this is Henry. Um, but without it being obvious, like, him being on the phone, like, hey, this is Henry. Like, it wasn't so, like, blatant. But it, it was, it wasn't, like, a cheesy blatancy. Like, it was a, a very, you know, it filmed well, poetic sort of parallel, um, which I liked, um, also, I freaking hate the blueberry guy, the guy from Harvard. He's so damn ridiculous. He's such a child. 
Um, he's 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 literally so stubborn. He has a horrible temper. Like I honestly don't. I honestly see why um, Henry's business partner um, doesn't like his daughter dating the Harvard guy because. It's not because he dropped out of Harvard. It's because his attitude, which caused him to drop out of Harvard, and his fucking temper, and just the insanity surrounding him. Um, when Jess or when Jess and um, Amos go over to dinner, um, this is the second time that I've noticed costuming being an interesting force in these episodes. In the one episode about the lady on the lake, the lady who ran the inn, I mentioned, was dressed like Cinderella's stepmother, like a high-collar blouse up to her chin, puffed shoulder sleeves, and then, like, the hairdo was up just exactly like Cinderella's stepmother in the cartoon. Um, And in this episode, Connie, when they came to dinner, was wearing a similar shirt button up all the way to the chin almost cut sort of like victorian's like shoulder sleeves um and i thought that was interesting i don't know whether that was to project that she was innocent and she was old-fashioned and needed uh company and because then she kept amos there for a bit um, you know, she needed a man in the house and she was doing some cross-stitching or whatever. So, like, I think she might have been playing into that a little bit. Um, but it could have also been a hint from the writers that she was the evil person. Not necessarily, like, because they used that shirt and that outfit to make us think that the lady who owned the inn in a previous episode was evil but she wasn't where this one, I think they're using that shirt as um, a way to kind of hint that she is evil um, without saying anything. It's like a very subtle, or I could be totally wrong. I'm just like reading way too into this. Um, But yeah, so also when Amos left, um, he, they were watching um, John Wayne, a John Wayne movie, and when he left, she said, Amos, thank you, Amos, for being here. Um, and I had already seen the episode before I rewatched it to, you know, go through what I wanted to talk about, and it is a, such a freaking foreshadowing point. Where she says, thank you, Amos, for being here. The way she says it, when you have seen the episode already, is kind of interesting. Um, At 2556, there's a great exterior shot of uh, Jessica's house. With, like, the hints of, like, bushes and um, kind of, like, intertwined in the front. With, like, hints of pink in the bushes from flowers. Um, there are a lot of really great shots of her house. Um, so the next thing is, Jess doesn't want to help Amos. Um, 
Henry's killed, put in the mistress's house. Um, uh, I also wrote down a note on when they're standing in Phyllis's house with the dead body. Um, Jess, they're talking about what kind of weapon could be used. And Jessica looks over at the fireplace and sees there's a poker missing. And she's like, what about a poker? And then Seth says, or a poker. But the way he said it was just delivered brilliantly. Like, I, I just love the way he said it. Um, yeah, so they go on a wild goose chase to find the van. Because his body, it's just a whole bunch of stuff. Bodies disappearing, appearing. Um... There was a really, really weird, fast, dizzying shot of when they find the van at that farmer's, on the, on the farm, um, and there's, like, a fresh hole, a body-sized hole dug in the dirt in front of it, um, there's, the camera hits the, like, looks at the hole, and then does this weird, like, curve upward like boing hand to Jess and Amos and it's like it's such a really weird um weird dynamic like it's such a weird thing to put in the middle of this episode because it doesn't fit anything really I've seen them do before it was like a really fast pan like maybe they were like experimenting with different types of shots um but it was really off-putting, honestly. Um, they find out... There's a... Um, they have a retreat house on the farm. And they find out that Henry... That's where Henry had been hiding. Um, so... Um, we go to... Um, we're jumping to, I already didn't bring this up, but when, um, they're in the police station and after they found the body, um, and Connie is, like, really pushing for them to, uh, to convince them that Phyllis was the killer, um, and she looks really guilty, um, so it, overall the summary is, um, Henry and his wife were fleeing with the money. He came back. I forget why. All I know is that she hit him with a pipe, dragged him under the porch, and then that was while Amos was at her house. He was calling her to um, meet with him. Before they fled or whatever. And he came over. He hit him with a pipe. Um, oh, because he didn't think he could go through with it. And then she dragged him under the porch. And then went back to the couch. And Amos was sleeping slash watching. Um, uh, John Wayne. Um, and then Jess set her on... Um, this is brilliant. After 
in the police station when she's trying to push for Phyllis's death, Jess recognizes what's going on, sort of, I think. And um, she's talking about how um, that Henry was missing, missing his crystal from his watch and that it was probably in the van and that Amos should look at it. And But really, she was totally setting up um, Connie to go to the scene of the crime and trying to find the watch crystal so they wouldn't figure out like that he was killed at her house and that she dragged the body into the porch. Um, but Jessica was there waiting with the police, essentially. Um, but uh, Connie didn't know the police was there. So she pulled out of the freaking pipe and was about to freaking slaughter Jessica uh, when she was arrested and they ended up you know it's an almost happy ending they ended up finding all the money um so Amos didn't lose um his retirement fund um and we find out that It also, the, the John Doe was a vagrant that helped them change a tire and died in the backseat of their car from a heart attack. So they decided to use his body um, as, a, as a decoy, I guess. Um, but that's a, was a, is rough. I mean, they did this whole thing for an insurance scam and it just turned into a horrible, horrible mess. I mean, I don't see how... I mean... I I don't know why they needed to... Steal all the money. Or flee town or anything. I mean... They weren't necessarily having issues with the business because the money that was um that was invested the million dollars the million dollars was still there so it wasn't like they lost their investors money all altogether he had the money he was just gonna flee with it so i don't i don't know what their real issue was there um so yeah that was um Season 2, episode 18, If a Body Meet a Body, and, um, overall, oh, I forgot, um, I've been writing these, I forgot to read the last two, I think, um, let's see, let's do out of 10, I'd give this one, fuck it, I'd give this one a 9, it was really entertaining, and I've watched it before, and watching it again, um, I did not get bored. It was um, entertaining. Takes you in all different places. Um, different dynamic with Amos and Jessica. So yeah, 9 out of 10 for this one. Um, and the next episode, I think we're going to do... Um, I think we'll do... Episode 20, Menace, anyone? Um, it's about a tennis champ. Um, and this was actually one of the first episodes I ever saw when I first watched uh, Murder, She Wrote. But this was like a year or so ago. So all I remember is that there's a bomb involved. 
but I do not remember anything else. And I'm I'm kind of I remember liking this episode, but I don't remember why. So um, I'm pretty excited to uh, go through that one. Um, but yeah, this has been Murder She Spoke. Uh, thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank <music> you.